Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This is the show all about commercial property investing for the private investor. For those of you who want to create great cash flow, no matter where you are in the world, this is aimed at both individuals just getting started in commercial property and those with a growing portfolio. Through interviews, hard-learned lessons and tips from professional investors, we want to give you a constant source of inspiration and up-to-date information on what has worked and what hasn't worked so you can make more informed decisions about your commercial real estate investments. So hi, welcome, Ross, Roger, welcome hi. to the podcast. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for joining me. So today we're going to have a conversation about insurance. And do you know what? It's amazing to me how many times I've worked with people who get themselves all organised for a commercial property and then they sometimes even buy the thing and haven't got insurance mm-hmm. because normally you get asked by your mortgage provider for a residential property to get it. But a lot of people buy commercial through private money and they don't get asked the question. So they forget about it. So we're going to go into a few questions that have been asked over the years and also um, some of the things that maybe people need to think about in terms of the commercial lets. But should we just start at the beginning? Maybe you guys could introduce yourselves, what your, what your business does. Sure. My name's Ross Smith and... Uh, I have a business called Anderson Smith Insurance Brokers. We are an independent whole of market corporate insurance broker. We specialise in property owners insurance, but we also do every other type of insurance apart from private car. So to sum it up, we will do anything that you can't buy on the internet, (laughs) if that makes sense. Uh, And I'm Roger. I have worked for Anderson Smith now since, since January. I've been in the insurance industry for... Uh, 18, 19 years now. So, yeah, Ross and I are here to provide a a service for our clients. As Ross said, we're, we're not a call centre environment. We're, we're here to help the customer, give them the right advice, make sure they get it in the right covers. And, yeah, just, just making sure everyone gets what they need. Cool. So, I, I mean, I've, I've had my own business for about 20, 20 plus years and I've had lots and lots of different insurances, obviously, over the years. And predominantly now it's about commercial but there's all the other stuff that goes on and around about that absolutely and you and i have known each other for a while or something yes we have yeah. kids that go to school together and all that sort of jazz um but more recently when you've set up your own brokerage we've now come on board with you and what i wanted to do is maybe just talk a little bit about that experience and the portfolio that you are now looking after because some of the audience will be kind of familiar with bits and pieces of that i've discussed it occasionally and I just thought that would be a good case study. Absolutely. Right? And, you know, we, we have got, obviously, different liabilities for employees and vehicles and all these sorts of things, but they're covered separately. I just want to say that right now. And what we're going to talk about here is specifically about commercial property insurance. But what I found amazing about the process of going through 
reassessing our insurance with, with you guys was just the firmness. And, you know, when you've got a commercial property, the thing about it is every single one of them is different. Even when they're next to each other, they've got a different mm -hmm. tenant, they've got a different history, they've got a different client base, all different surroundings, all these things. Postcode, everything's different, right? Yeah. So they, all these things have an effect on your insurance premium. And although on a phone call or on the internet forum, you can try and cover some of those, there's nothing like putting on a pair of boots and going looking around. And that was what I found quite <laughs> intriguing, uh, Ross, was you traipsing around all our sites, having a look at all these things. But, you know, within um, the market, obviously there are um, a, a number of underwriters, but I think what I really picked up on during our time of looking at our portfolio was that, you know, the more niche it gets, the less that are there. But maybe you could just talk through how that actually works, because some people may feel that actually you're the guys that insure it. Sure. Of course it's not. So just, just talk us through the process of, of how the market actually works. Sure. I th Jerry, I think you raise a very, very good point there. And I think for a broker to do the best job possible and act in the best interests of their client is get to know the client well. You know, you've got to ask the right questions and you've got to get to know the risk. So the important thing, as you said, with the, with the hard market that the insurance industry is in at the minute, information is key, as much information as possible so that we can present the yeah. risk to the insurers in the, in the correct manner with all the information available, all the, the good aspects of the property and uh, and give them ample time to, 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 to look at it basically. It's it, it's not a one size fits all through the computer, no yeah, problem, here's a quote. So, so yeah. it's, it, every project is bespoke, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. The, the market is hardening. It's going to get harder uh, in the coming years, but it's not to say that the more information we get, there's still markets out there to get some pretty good, pretty good terms. You've got one extreme when it comes to property insurance. Our dream is to get a risk that's fully occupied. The tenants are in place <laughs> uh, and, you, you know, you've got a selection of maybe 25, 30 insurers to choose from. And you just pick the most competitive premium with the best terms available. That is one extreme. And then there's other extremes where, you know, you've got a wholly unoccupied property, it's getting renovated, there's a lot of structural work happening. That's maybe taking your 25 insurers down to four or five. And of the four or five, two or three of them will have adverse terms where they're reducing cover down to what's called flea cover, fire, lightning, aircraft explosion, with potentially some pretty hefty excesses, inspections, some are daily inspections, weekly inspections. So, you know, so... That that end of the market, when we talk about a hard market, that's the end of the market that's getting, you know, harder and harder to place, you know, as well as premiums rising and terms being, you know, not quite what clients would expect. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I think we're going to see this over the next two or three years. But if clients can come to us with plenty of time, because insurers, there's still a lot of them working from home. And turnaround times are seven working days, 10 working days sometimes. So, you know, if you can give us 10 working days to look at a risk, then great. Give us all the information you've got, even if you think it's trivial, you know, 
tell us that you know it's going to be a structural alteration. It's going to be unoccupied for potentially nine months. Don't don't tell us when three months when it's going to be nine months because it makes our job more difficult in three months' time. Where you know when you know when the insurer calls us and said, "Oh, can we can we go up to full cover now because your risk should be fully occupied?" You know, be honest and be upfront. Yeah, so basically you, you get as much information as you can. I know that you've sent us a form before that yeah. you know for customers to, to fill out. And then you go out to market with that with as much so you're not the more information you have, the less to and throwing, right? Correct. Absolutely. And Correct. you might find that particularly with our type of clients on, on CPI where you maybe are getting people with part vacancy, which is kind of the thing that we really focus in on is getting a building that's got some income. Sure. But the vacant part gives you the opportunity to add value. Okay. But of course, from your challenging point of view, it's like, well, how do we cover that area? Yeah. And it's not just about there's the premium. It's here's some procedures you need to follow. Here's some steps you need to take each and every week or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But what it does, of course, it just reduces the number of um, underwriters that Absolutely. are willing to take on that risk. Correct. However, in the customers we've referred to you, I don't think you've drawn any blanks yet. No, no blanks yet, no. And, and all been, ones, yeah, a few challenging ones. <laughs> but I mean, that's you know that's part and parcel of the job, you know, yeah. and that and that's what makes it a lot more interesting, actually. Uh, so you know, there's been a few, there's been a few really interesting ones where where there's been a change of use, you know, change from residential to commercial, commercial back to residential, etc. So that's all been that's all been really interesting. Yeah, great. Okay, so so some of the things I want to cover are some of the questions I've been asked fairly regularly over the years. Um, and as, as we just said, there's been a few customers that work with us for commercial property acquisitions that we've, we've sent on to you and, sure. and you've, you've managed to do, which is great. But there are some things that people can be considering for their insurance risk earlier on. And some of those ones are, as you say, getting the information to you early. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had some people recently talking to me they've got an acquisition that they're doing and what's the first thing I should be doing it's like well have you sorted out insurance yeah. Yeah. so these are some things but you're just saying really two weeks notice is really the kind of time frame that makes it Ideally. easier and, and, and it means you can basically talk to the market properly yeah and listen we're absolutely delighted if you've got a, a client that's looking at buying a property auction just tell us the brief details we'll put in the postcode into a, quote, into a quotation engine we can pretty much tell if it's in a flood zone or if it's in a heavy theft area, you know, yeah. a, a distressed postcode area, and give them the heads up. Yeah, this is something we spoke about before, Ross, wasn't yeah. it? Is that actually, and not something I thought about before we had the conversation, was if you're looking at a new building, a new, maybe a, a, a refurb, but mm-hmm. you're looking at a building, get it checked. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. I tend to do is get it checked for an internet. Is there fibre internet locally? Mm-hmm. To sure. what, these sort of things. But actually... Yep. It's all very well, but you, if you sign the document to buy it and then you realise you can't insure it, that's, a, that's not a good position. It's, it's hidden things as well, like like flood risks, um, the, the flood mapping uh, programmes that insurers use these days come up with some weird and wonderful things about runoff water, not necessarily a flood area, but runoff water. So it's these little things that could catch you out uh, if you're phoning two days before the sale goes through. So yeah, uh, yeah. Time is key to, to these sorts of things. So you, you guys are, are happy for those listening to send you postcodes and say, I'm sure this. Within reason. Within reason. A fair use policy. A fair use policy. So fire alarms, security alarms, monitored security alarms and fire alarms and all these things. I'm assuming they all help with premiums. But is there a direct correlation or is, what's your thoughts on that? Um, 
Yeah, the, the inclusion of fire alarms, it, it's something that is probably mandatory. It's its regulatory in this day and age. Um, security alarms, yeah, it, it, it's a great thing to have to de-risk your business and good practice. From an insurance point of view, yeah, fi- fire alarms are probably expected. Security alarms, depending on the circumstances of the property, if, it, if it's purely the property that you're insuring and, and the tenants uh, are, are insuring their own contents, Probably not so important if you're a, an owner occupier and you might have some uh, theft friendly, theft uh, some desirable um, contents. Then yes, a security alarm could be something. All these things though help give more options. More underwriters will be interested in it. More information, uh, risk management, etc. The more insurers an insurance company sees that, the more likely they will provide a quote. Yes. Yeah, so although you, there isn't a direct correlation between. Okay, I've got a monitored security and a monitored fire alarm. Monitored being somebody somewhere is going to pick up the signal when it goes off yep. and give you a phone call or whatever it is, or yep. phone the fire brigade. Um, doesn't have a direct correlation with the premium, but what it does do is allows you to maybe find a more competitive. It's more desirable. Market, more underwriters are going to look at yeah, it. Correct. We will have a bigger pool of insurers quoting on that risk. Okay. Yeah, I think. So yeah, so I mean, in the past, I've asked that question. I thought, you know, is it ten percent? Is it five percent? What's it's not as simple as that, unfortunately. No, but it's important if you can get all these things in place. And then, of course, you mentioned earlier on about occupancy, so let's just dive into that for a second. Yep. A lot of the guys that we work with, that's what they're looking for, is a partial sure. vacancy mm-hmm. there or, and, and some kind of occupancy. And certainly when we've looked at buildings, um, Ross, because over the time we've been working together, there's, there's been fluctuations when yep. we bought a new building and these needs refurbing, all that sort of stuff. Um, it means that the premium up front can be quite a bit higher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it can be substantial re- reduction when you get that occupancy up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, any any occupancy is going to, one, increase the premium uh, and two, reduce the cover offered by an insurer. So is there, is there a kind of defining line where 30% unoccupancy, <laughs> I can't actually categorically yeah. say, but... Anything below 30% unoccupancy, we can probably get a quote through on our quotation system. Anything above that, we need to go manually to the market, which reduces the insurers willing to quote on it. Mm-hmm. So it probably takes it down from that 25, 30 insurers down to your five or six insurers. Mm-hmm. So not holding you to this, but if you think about our scenario, so generally we will have a company that buys a building. Yeah. Then we have an occupant, which is our operating business. Mm-hmm. And the operating business, we generally have somebody on site our model some some listeners won't do it that way but we'll have somebody on site but there might be 10 units vacant mm-hmm. whilst 30 are occupied i'm just going on 25 percent or whatever it is yeah. that's right yeah 30 30 <laughs> occupied right so um there's that kind of fuzzy area where actually there's a single tenant they're in the building they're looking in all these spaces every day they're doing viewings and everything else but technically they're not occupied as far as the operating company goes. What What's your view on that in terms of, I mean, you've got to be honest about everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what, what's the view on that? Your model is slightly different in that you've, you've got somebody in sight, they can inspect on a daily basis. It's far more appealing for an insurer operating your model. However, some some other properties, they will be wholly unoccupied yes. and there will need to be somebody that drives to that property that physically view it or inspect it on a weekly basis, uh, which is not so attractive to insurers because it's a separate entry. It's, you know, it's yeah. completely different. So, so somebody listening to this who, you know, they, they 
don't have to come and use you guys, they're using yeah. somebody else. They need to be conscious that if, if you're not being asked these questions, mm -hmm. then it's just a rubber stamp and there's just a process going through there and they may be making assumptions, but yeah. actually you need to have that conversation with yeah. the broker Very and with the um, underwriter saying, well, yes, but here's the procedures that are in place yeah. to make sure that it's being visited every day or whatever it needs to be yeah. to allow the premiums yeah. to work better. It's risk mitigation, but I think, you know, you raise a very, very valid point there, Jerry, in that it's not just here and now, it's how long it's going to be, you know, expected to be unoccupied for. If there's any work to be done, what type of work? And the more detail you can give us in the type of work, even if it's, you know, some structural work, how long it's going to last and when it's going to be finished, an estimated occupancy time, then that allows us to give a lot more information to underwriters mm -hmm. so that they don't need to assume the worst case scenario. Yes. And I think that's quite important. Yeah, yes. And they will. That's they it. will. That's the nature of yeah. an underwriter is yeah. they will. So if we can fill in the gaps there and not let the underwriters assume worst case scenario, the better the terms we can get for the mm -hmm. clients. Yeah. It leads me on to something slightly different. You mentioned earlier, right back at the start there, you know, when you get a survey report and all these things, this is great information that we want. And one of the key bits of information in there, I would think, is the rebuild value. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You and I have had chats about this. Absolutely. Some people are tempted to say, do you know what? Severe said it's a £4 million rebuild value. I reckon we could do it for two. Just insure it for £2 million. Mm. What's your viewpoint on that, Russ? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jerry, you know my viewpoint here, and it is, you know, we are always looking after our clients' best interests. And in every insurance policy, there's the average clause. Now, the average clause kicks in to reduce a claim payment if the insurer thinks the reinstatement value is far higher than that, given at the outset of the policy inception. So I would strongly say to everyone, make sure the reinstatement value is accurate, updated at least every three years, so that they avoid the average clause ever kicking in. Yeah, I was going to say, yes, yeah, so they're quite cute about it there. Mm -hmm. So you might say it's worth two million. Yeah. But actually... When the policy, if it's ever called on, yeah. it'll, have a, it'll have a... The claim will be deducted proportionately. Yeah. Yes. And of course, it's, it's an even bigger issue now with the cost of materials and rebuild cost. Uh, Underinsurance was a huge issue in the insurance industry. Before all this building material costs escalating in that, it was a big issue before then. And it's going to become an even bigger issue over the coming yeah. months, years um, as well. Yeah, certainly the, the pandemic has shortened supply of materials, increased costs. So if if the reinstatement value was an issue pre-pandemic, it's even more of an issue now. Mm -hmm. And it's even more important to get that survey report done and get a proper reinstatement sum, sum insured on that policy. So what else do you see that some people may be a wee bit short on? But what are the things that would be useful for you to have information-wise or things that people maybe try and cut corners? Any other thoughts for listeners on things that they should be looking at and paying attention to? Just if there's any inoccupancy, discuss it with your broker. You know, don't just think, oh, that won't matter. Just discuss it with your broker because that is a material fact. Uh, if there's any work getting done to a building, there's, a, there's actually a clause in your insurance that you should tell any, you know, the contract value of any works that's going to be, you know, these are things that people forget about. But just remember and just tell your broker that, that that's happening or, you know, this tenant's leaving and I, and I expect it to be filled within three months, you know, with a new tenant. And the type of tenant as well. Yeah. Uh, and what they're doing. It's the old one of who is your tenant? Is it is it a, a solicitor's office or is it a firework factory? Yes. In there. <laughs> that, that is a huge bearing on as well. 
Yeah, you um, can never trust solicitors. Well, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, and, and construction uh, of the overall property itself. Obviously, we'll probably get that with some sort of survey report or uh, report. But full information at all time, and and give us time as well to to go to the market with with everything. Okay, so just before we move on to talking a little bit about the podcast, I've got a couple of other questions. So one was, when should you actually get cover? So recently, um, I had somebody who put an offer on a building, it was accepted, and they were questioning about whether they should have cover when the current owner still has cover in place. And I think it's to do a little bit to do with the quirk of when is the contract been signed and you are 100% committed to this building? But also, you know, if the other side fails to do the premium or whatever it is, there, there just becomes more complications. Mm-hmm. So what's your thoughts on that? When, when should you get your building covered? Is, and is, are you allowed to have a cover when somebody else has a cover and you don't even own it? Uh, when you become the legal, legal owner of the building, which is generally, which your solicitor will generally tell you the, you know, the one minute past 12 on a Friday afternoon is when you will become the legal owner. And that is the that is when you should insure the building from. Should you insure it prior to that? Well, there would need to be a compelling reason for you insuring that, insuring it prior to you getting the building because you're not the legal owner mm-hmm. whilst you're actually insuring it. So, so here's, here's a question then. So it was more related to auction. So yeah. auction, you've got 28 days sometimes to get the whole deal done. Sure. Um, during that time frame, you may actually sign contracts, but you may not transfer the money for a few days. Um, within that period, is it worthwhile considering, or is it really just let's just wait till we get to that last minute? Your solicitor will guide you as and when you have an insurable interest in, in a property, and I would take your insur- your solicitor's advice as to when that insurable interest Important. should yeah. should kick in. It's probably not for an insurance broker. To tell mm-hmm. a client, it's for the solicitor to see when the insurable interest kicks in. Yeah. Okay, so could you give us a general update on the industry? You mentioned earlier on things may be getting a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Um, it seems that every year we have something else that's cost money for the insurance industry and they've got to get it back somehow. What, what's your thoughts on what's around the corner? Well, we've, we've recently had Brexit. We've had the pandemic. And, you know, I think we're looking at the troubles in Ukraine and Russia at the moment. Uh, these are not going to, it's not going to be a positive effect in the insurance industry, that's for things. sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there, there's no doubt about it. You know, I've been in the industry for 30 years and this is probably the hardest market that I have, you know, witnessed. But, you know, there's still, there's still many positives in there that you can still get decent terms. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not negative, negative. As long as you work with your broker, you get to know your broker, you trust your broker, you know, they will be able to get terms for you. But, yeah. you've, you know, it's probably not a time where you're going to buy insurance off the internet and trust it. Yeah. You're going to need proper advice, especially in complicated property uh, purchases. You, you need advice from a qualified broker. Yeah, so, uh, again, a lot of our listeners may well be in residential investing already. Yeah. And quite a lot of them will use online platforms yeah. for that. but. Not only is commercial property commercial, it's, you know, it's a business. Mm-hmm. And so you, you do need to start thinking about these yeah. more complicated issues. A lot of the time they're bought, due, they're bought with special purpose vehicles, limited companies, different things, which also need insurance. Mm-hmm. And it's just you're just stepping into a slightly different world and you might have to wear a slightly different yeah. hat, different approach. Yeah. 
um, and that's where working with a broker is going to help. And that's just one of the things I did want to cover was for those that have um, multiple uh, residential portfolios, is that something you guys look at as well? Or Yep. Yeah, yeah. Again, all depends on occupancy and, uh, and uh, work's going on. But yeah, yeah, we do that day in, day out. It's, it's a bread and butter thing that we do. Uh, just like the commercial properties, so yeah, lots of market in, markets interested in that. Again, depending on occupancy and whatnot, but yeah, uh, it's how, something. How that is that market in general? Is it similar to what we've just been talking about with the commercial market, or is that becoming more difficult? I would, I would say it's. I mean, it's probably more of a price-driven market, okay. uh, where there's probably a lot more single property buy-to-let owners buying it online through, yes. you know, uh, so it's probably a price-driven market. And that's fine whilst you've got a professional in the mm-hmm. property, the flavour's vanilla, but as soon as you change that, you know, you have to come away from the internet and you need to you need to get proper advice from a broker. And do, do these often get insured in the, singly or do they tend to get insured as a portfolio? We have had a couple of clients recently where they've had a collection of buy-to-lets. They've had various renewal dates throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I think one I've been speaking to recently, they've had six or seven properties, six or seven renewal dates, all with six or seven different different yeah. insurers. Just the admin time that they've that they spend dealing with six or seven renewal dates, we can actually put that into the one one renewal date on the one policy. So it saves them a lot of hassle and in the main saves them a bit a bit on premium as well. Yeah. Yeah. You're not paying for your public liability over and over again for potentially any admin fees, etc. You're not paying you've got one policy that everything's um, And is it relatively easy to add in new ones? I guess yeah. you know yeah. yeah, yeah. Fairly straightforward, yeah. No, it's a straightforward process. Some some um, resi purchasers become serial purchasers and just mm-hmm. can't help themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's, it's just keep a, going. Keep, you know, keep whilst going. on that, you know, there's been one trend that we've seen recently in that you ensure loss of rent, uh, which is very very important on a residential uh, buy to let. We see a lot of buy to lets. They've bought a lovely tenement building within a uh, within a city centre, and they've got a twelve month loss of rent. So. Without going into the technicalities, I'm trying to explain this in plain English, but if that building was decimated by fire, they're only ever going to get 12 months yeah. rent back. But it's really 36 months that it's going to take to rebuild that building. Yeah. So they should be insuring the loss of rent over 36 months rather than 12 months. Just a wee thing, but we're seeing it more and more where they think 12 months is fine. Well, it's yeah, not I, I think reality. some people probably think um, if something happens and it's a total loss, I'll get my money in and I'll be fine. Yeah. But actually, it's a lot more complicated than that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And when we, you know, we've actually seen claims where the, as soon as you've got to deal with the, the planning department and mm-hmm. it might be a listed building, they can, you know, even 36 months can be a push to get that. Yeah, the architects in, yeah. any other planners or that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You can't leave a hole in the ground. It has to be rebuilt. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, so covering your rent, because that mortgage and everything else is still there. Has to be done, and it is a mini business for most people who are yeah. operating, it and they want to see that income continue That's for right. as long as that building's not producing income. That's right. Okay, so let's just move <clears> on a little <throat> bit. Um, I'm really excited that you guys are going to be a sponsor for the podcast. So are we? 
And, well, you know, we, we we've, as we said on the podcast here, we've worked on our own stuff for a while. Um, I, I'm really pleased at the way things have gone. It's been been a revelation in terms of um, service. And of course, over the last couple of years, there's been quite a number of customers that we've sort of suggested, look, you maybe should go and talk to these guys about insurance. And all of them have managed to sort things out, which is fantastic. So uh, one of the really important things for me about bringing on a sponsor on the show is that there's no conflict of interest. I'm not getting some kind of commission, right? That it's not an ad, it's a sponsorship. And most important is that I've done, I use it and that it's for the benefit of the community. It's not just some kind of financial transaction. So first thing is to say that, you know, in sponsoring the podcast, we've agreed, here's the contribution you're going to make, but there is no commission. There's nothing in the background. Basically, if we refer people to you or they find you through the podcast, that's your business, right? But what, what I've really liked so far, as I say, is the service and the way you've, you've looked after us and our customers, which is so important. Because if you build up a business and you're supporting people and then you pass them on to somebody who doesn't look after them, whose face does the egg go right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I just wanted to um, say thanks so much for, for agreeing to be sponsored on the show. I'm really looking forward to it. And, and some of the things that we will do for listeners is we'll um, give... Ross and his team access the Facebook group. So if anyone has any questions, you can maybe pop them in there and, yeah. and these guys will be able to help with that. But also at the end of the show, there will be show notes and you'll be able to pick up contact details if you wish. Um, and maybe some of your team might come to some of our events. Maybe mm-hmm. if we're doing some things. And We'd like it to, yeah. Yeah. And of course, on our podcast, we'll have regular reminders of things that you do. But it's not going to be an advert. We know that. We've discussed that, right? It's a sponsorship role. And, and as I say, I'm, I'm really excited about that. But I just want to maybe just ask you why, apart from my charm, <laughs> would you consider sponsoring the show? Because you, you've worked with some of our customers. So what have you experienced so far? I think, I think well, first and foremost, we've known each other for, for you know, a, a kind of number of years. I know and I trust you. And I think trust in any relationship sure. is very, very important. Uh, I you know and, and I know your business as well. So you know, so you've been you've been very successful over the last few years in your own business. And uh, the customers that you've referred us that we've you know thank you very much. You know they've all been very very professional. They've been a delight to deal with. I think we've converted all but one for you know f- you know. So well, I think yeah. I think we've had a good success rate. Uh, you know. Our business is all about looking after the client's best interests. So, you know, so we want to do the best by the client. But we don't just want a relationship with our clients for property. If they've got, you know, if they've got a household insurance requirement, you know, we're we're delighted to do that as well. So we just wanted to build a trusting relationship yeah. and just echo exactly what you're doing, you know, with all your yeah. clients. This, this, this whole game, most business is about relationships, yeah. isn't it? Particularly B2B. Um, yeah, that's all we want, as I said earlier on. It's about being able to trust somebody else to deal with your own clients in, in a way that you would. Yeah. Fab. Okay, so um, just before we wrap up, just so that people do know, where can they see you? What are your user handles? What's your <laughs> kind of... I mean, we'll put these things in the show notes. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm not sure you have an Instagram account putting out loads and loads of images of no. your insurance. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know... Let's just um, remind people the name of the business, uh, perhaps the website and places LinkedIn maybe, mm-hmm. and we will of course share your details on Facebook. Sure. But where can people find you? 
Yeah, you can get in contact with us uh, via social media. Uh, we have a Facebook page if you search for Anderson Smith Insurance Brokers. Uh, we've all got LinkedIn profiles as well, like business has as well, Anderson Smith. Uh, if you want to contact us personally, uh, you can contact myself, Roger Coulter, Ross Smith or, or Amy Patterson that works in our office as well. And we've got our website which gives more of a flavour of what we do. That's www.anderson-smith.co.uk Fab, and I know that you guys have a document that you would love customers to fill in. Absolutely. We're not mm -hmm. all going to do that, of course. Sometimes we have phone calls. Yeah, so yeah. what we'll do is maybe put that resource on the website somewhere mm -hmm. so that people can download that and just be able to access Pass it on to us, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay, fantastic. So thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you. We'll be hearing Thanks. from you again, I'm sure, <laughs> on the show at different stages. Keep all those details of interesting projects you're working on and things. Maybe we'll um, have a have a catch-up again at another podcast and just talk through some of the different projects that you've worked with. Certainly, even just in the number of ones you've worked with us and um, with our clients, there's been a real mix of properties yeah. in lots of different locations mm -hmm. throughout the UK. Yeah. It's not just Scotland. And just thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you, Jerry. Thank you very much.